Hey folks, it's another Compile video and podcast here. We're going to be talking about something that has always fascinated me and I need to wrap my head around and I'm sure there's many developers out there as well today. So I've got Prakash with me today and I'm, I'm hoping that I'm pronouncing that right. Um, we're going to be talking about some no-code solutions, but also how that plays into the landscape for us as folks like myself, the older developers who are used to, you know, looking at lines of code. Um, so uh, Prakash, if you would like to please introduce yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Prakash Chandran, and I am one of the co-founders and the CEO of Xeno.com. I'm really excited to be here. So thank you, Peter, so much for having me. Oh, no, thank you. This this was one of those when when uh, your name came up in a, in a recommendation. I was like, yes, yeah, I've got to, got to have this conversation. Uh, I, I can't think of anyone, you know, I'd, I'd rather have this conversation with, you know, looking over your background, having worked at Google, uh, you know, and, and now going uh, as a founder for, for Xano. I think that this is this is going to be really good. Um We've got some, uh, some questions here. Sort of some, th- these are the sort of my, my questions are, um, the me as a developer and worrying about my future and then realizing, Oh, it's okay. <laughs> so that's, that's it. what we're going to do here. Now, uh, before we sort of dive into the specifics with Zeno, would you like to just cover for us kind of the, the, the landscape of where we are today with no code, because we hear the term come around a lot. Oh, no yeah. code, no code. And yeah. and what does that really mean? And I, I think you're the perfect person to answer that question. Yeah, so no code, actually, the concept of no code, as you probably know, has been around actually for a really long time. You know, WYSIWYG editors, even back in the days of Dreamweaver or even before that, um, there has always been ways that people have tried to abstract away the complexities of traditional software development and uh, introduce them to more of the masses or make them more accessible. The issue or the stigma with no code uh, that still follows no code today is that it is highly limited, right? Like you can only do so much. You can only build your MVP with no code. But as we live in a world today where there's, frankly, Peter, just not enough of you like traditional developers, there is an industry-wide problem where there's just a shortage, right? Whether uh, engineers aren't available, they're not affordable, or they're just focused on like core, bigger uh, product problems. And so... Basically, there's been an evolution where more like product owners need to build software for themselves because they just can't get developers. So they turn to these no code tools that are limited and they, then they get stuck. So Xano, we like to say, is part of this you know, next generation no code tooling that takes developer principles that is actually built by a seasoned developer uh, and makes them accessible to these new product owners that are trying to build software for themselves. Great description, because I think you know, like like so many of these terms, immediately when you hear no code, regardless of your background, the, the words themselves, right, imply, oh, oh, this is this is no code. This is yeah. just a thing that works. But you know, it, it's it's a lot deeper than that. And I, I often think that for folks who are either looking to take advantage of no code applications or wondering what they are and and how do I use those, it's important, I think, to always understand. The, the 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 nice kind of layer on top that is this no code that you use in an in an interface has absolutely incredible engineering underneath to make that happen. It's kind 100%. of that thing of behind the curtain, right? Yep. It looks easy to you because someone else has done the incredibly hard work. And and this was one of the things, you know, um, 
you, you mentioned it here. Part of it is this, this feeling that, you know, no code applications, they just don't scale well. It's almost like you, you know, there's this perception and, and some of the services that I've played with where you build this thing once, it does its thing. That's its life cycle. But I know that you've taken a different approach to this. And I'm wondering if that was one of the core drivers for you with Xano was to look at this and say, Hey, if you're going to, you know, you have an application, it becomes successful. Maybe it's enterprise level and therefore you have to consider scaling. I, I know that you've got things like Docker's and Docker and Kubernetes in the background. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we kind of identified that there was this major hole in the no-code space where oftentimes a lot of these no-code tools were was like an internal tool, like an agency that people slapped the CRM on. It's the traditional like, you know, multi-tenant uh, solution where a lot of people would come on. So if one person was like, you know, really using the product uh maybe too at a capacity that the owner did not anticipate, it would just diminish the product for everyone else. We knew that in order to be taken seriously and to kind of usher in the next generation of no-code building, we would have to kind of use the same principles that you know, the best developers would do. So, you know, every paid plan basically is a single tenant, a hundred dedicated resource uh, server, uh, basically deployed with Docker, orchestrated with Kubernetes. It is on GCP to start. I'm former Google, uh, so is my uh, co-founder and CTO. However, you're able to uh, move that to your cloud if you prefer, or we even have on-prem deployments or in your own data center if you want. Why that's important is because when it comes to scalability, security, and compliance, you basically need to be able to move to the infrastructure that makes sense for the organization. And a lot of these other no-code tools don't allow you to do that. Um, the second piece of it is business logic fidelity. Like, for example, I'll take Zapier. Zapier is great, like to connect one service to another. But when there's no zap for the application you're trying to do, you're kind of dead in the water, right? So you need to... Um, basically empower people to do more complex business logic transformations. And the only way to really do that is to give them 100% uh, fidelity of the things they want to do. When it comes to building application, and you know this, Peter, 99% isn't good enough. It's that last 1% that makes your software unique. So that's why we wanted on the infrastructure side to be make something that was scalable, secure, and compliant and portable. And on the business logic side, make it to where you could build without constraint. Yeah, that's great. You know, as, as I was reading through um, some of the documentation on the website and, and uh, you know, a couple of things did stand out to me and, and you hit on two very important ones there. So I'll sort of try and break these down to two things. Um, you know, as someone who has worked on uh, enterprise applications, you know, like yourself, you know, once there are some data sets and, um, you know, things like proprietary information for companies where, you know, the, the security team, they come to you and they say, this is great, but it must never leave our firewall and therefore cannot exist outside our network somewhere else in the cloud. And then on the flip side, we have everything's moving to the cloud. So, you know, as you say, a lot of these other services, um, they're great. They offer them to you, but it has to be on their hosting. So I love this idea of, you know, we have a solution, but you can take that solution, mm -hmm. use it in-house, keep it in-house if you need to, you know, almost kind of 
make the security team happy, right? Right. Get their you blessing. Have to. You have to. Yeah, yeah. You have to. Yeah. And, you know, along with that as well, the importance of things like, you know, uh, you mentioned the data, right? You yeah. know, there are so many rules, good rules these days for protecting users' privacy and their data. And having that extra barrier of keeping it in-house where it's needed. And then if you have to, you know, use it somewhere else and go out into the cloud, you've got that as an option. But it's in a very controlled way and is, you know, importantly controlled by you rather than, you know, you, you we all do it, right? You check the box, you agree to some terms and some service, and then later on you find out, ah, actually if there's a problem and it leaks, it's on me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and then the, the the final piece that I was going to talk about was this business logic fidelity, and this is kind of where I would want to uh, bleed in a little bit into the importance of someone like you who's a traditional developer, because you know this next generation of people that are building with these tools, sure they're able to build quickly on a tool like Xano. Um, however, they don't necessarily understand concepts like indexes or caching or things that make for scalable, uh, you know, performant applications. They don't understand the architecture in a way that you do. So we always said we wanted to be no code first, but developer friendly. Um, that's why we support things like Lambda functions, uh, sidecar Docker microservices, and ways for developers to have architectural supervision over the ways uh, uh, or kind of the innovation and empowering product owners to build what they need. Yeah, and, and you know, this this blends nicely into something else that I was going to mention that, that always makes me happy to see um, is not only that you're embracing that that current ecosystem of, you know, developers and the, the sort of the the approach that we've been using, because we have to we have to look realistically and look at things and say, okay, you know, if we want to move forward and we want to move in and expand into other areas be it no code or anywhere else, it has to work a lot of the time with existing infrastructure that we have, existing yeah. applications, uh, databases on the back end. And so I noticed that one of the key things that you have in there that you highlight that I think is, is worth talking about is this ability to, to essentially work with anything that has an API. Because me as, you know, maybe I'm, I'm a developer on a team and we've got a back end system that is you know, let's, let's face it, we all know this, right? The bigger the company, the less likely you are to be up to date with the, the, the latest and greatest because, hey, if it's in, in place and it works, it may be a few years out of date or something like that. But if I can then go to my developers and say, please write me an API so I can do, you know, X, Y, Z, and then that is the way to blend these two systems together. And, and you know, that, that really stood out to me. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think you completely get it. I think we needed to basically we made a very actually um hard decision. It felt hard at the time, but it was uh it was actually I believe the correct one to not abstract away the concept. So that's why we call like for example, we don't say zap, we teach people about webhooks and APIs. We don't call them workflows or anything like that. The reason why is because when you have new people that are trying to build and they run into uh, a roadblock, if they don't understand how software works, if they don't understand how APIs work, uh, authentication or anything like that, then they're really stuck. 
So we feel like, hey, let's treat everyone like they're grownups. Let's teach them about the principles of software development and let's empower them to build in the right way using the right language in, in the way that current software development and software developers actually speak. Yeah, it, it almost feels in a way, um, you know, it's that, that let's bring the education to it. Right mm-hmm. as we move forward, you know, let's. Well, you're not going in and saying, um, you know, I, I've been in these kind of situations. You know, company X comes in and says, "Hey, we've got this fantastic box, this magic box, right? Mm. And it's going to solve all your problems. And all you've got to do is completely rewrite your system to work with this box." Mm. And you know, you know that immediately when you take that back and try to sell it to whoever it needs to be in a company, you're going to get the no, right? Because there's, yeah, sorry, you know, years and years of data, we don't get to start again. What we get to do is transition. And then maybe a few years from now, if we're lucky, we can say it's about time to turn off that legacy system, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Once it's transitioned through to this, this new approach, you know, and, and that again plays very nicely with the systems that you're describing where, you know, um, okay, it's now in your newer database. Um, it's either in the cloud or it's on, you know, your internal cloud, however you want to store that. But it's now transitioned and you can work with it. And also, you know, my perception is that in a no-code, um, more of a way of thinking than anything, it's a lot easier to take that and say, okay, you know, tomorrow we need to do this new thing with it. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot easier to step forward from there than to go back, to, you know, and look at the architecture diagrams and say, we just never coded it for this or, yeah. or we never saw that coming. And I think that's the other thing. You know, no code to me suggests lots of building blocks for today and tomorrow. And, you know, none of this, um, the architecture is what it is. We're stuck there. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it it en- enables pe- uh, people to move faster for sure, right? It enables people to just uh, unblock themselves and and build something quickly and uh, and then launch something quickly. I do still feel, and I think this is worth mentioning, that for larger organizations, you know, th- there's a reason why there are architects and solutions engineers out there because when you build at that scale. They are actually required. So that's why, you know, you've probably heard of digital transformation. Like a lot of companies, this was like the hot term uh, really for the past five to 10 years. But really what it is, it's like continuous transformation. And we think that there is a world where even these larger enterprises, they need to be to work alongside these, let's call them citizen innovators uh, that are are building and trying to unblock themselves. That's why we subscribe. There's a framework called Distributed Development written by Jack Morrow. We subscribe to this. And what this means is that in today's world, centralized IT, they're trying to move fast, but they're just kind of like, you know, they are just bogged down by their processes and stuff, which then causes the backlog. Uh, We need to give them architectural control over the citizen innovators that are building with these no-code tools. So I think today's world, shadow uh, or um, centralized IT looks at no-code tools and they're like, no code, no way, that's shadow IT. I don't trust it, I'll never trust it. 
and I understand why they say this, but in this in in this new world that we're trying to basically really plant a flag and usher in is look, there's a way that we can work together. Centralized IT wants architectural supervision, and citizen innovators and developers want to build uh, quickly and launch quickly. So there should be a way to do this together, and that is um, why we subscribe to the distributed development model. Yeah, you you're so right, and you know something you hinted at there is you know speed. Right. Yep. Um, we all know that we never have enough time to do everything we wanted exactly the way we want it to be. And something that I think conventional um, development approach has to stop and think about is, you know, the, the world we move in today is a lot quicker than it was yep. when we had time to to plan out these almost kind of monolithic code bases that are just going to work fantastic and they'll they'll run forever until you realize they won't you know mm -hmm. yeah and and so uh speed to market you know this has to be something that goes beyond things like marketing and, and product development and has to be a consideration for the development layer as well and realize that you know we'll see it right new companies you know social networks are a perfect example every other week there's a new one yeah. And you could have the, the most beautifully designed uh, tool or service, and you know it could be the absolute pinnacle answer to a problem. But if you never get it to market in time for the problem you're trying to solve, that's going to be an issue. And I think that that's where I find a lot of the time, kind of almost in, in a developer uh, advocate role, I always like to sort of preach that, you know, it, it's nice to make these things and be, you know, hey, look how great we've architected this. But at the end of the day, don't lose sight of the fact that you are building a solution to a problem. And it's really the solution that matters. And, you know, take it from there and go backwards rather than I've got this great idea and look, I built out this thing. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, and funnily, I, I don't know that uh, all kind of de uh, developer, developer advocacy type uh, think in the way that you do. I think it's very forward thinking to understand like, look, there is a place for architectural supervision and uh, and putting in the work there. But we are living in a world where you have to ship quickly and you have to basically validate quickly. And sometimes you don't necessarily have the time uh, to do that. So I think that there is a world where we can operate together to where, hey, let's validate something quickly and then let's bring in an architect or a solutions engineer to make sure that if we deploy at scale, that there's good hygiene around that. Yeah, yeah. And I think this plays nicely into uh, you know the other big topic of the day, uh, AI, right? Mm -hmm. You know, um, there's this. I don't know how accurate it is, but certainly this perception that you know, oh, you know, everything AI is going to change everything, and 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 it's going to do away with all of these services and all of the people that you know maintain these things, and AI is just going to solve the problem. And you know, I, I'm not sure that I'm convinced. I'm convinced that I think AI can help solve mm -hmm. the problem or how you think about a problem. Yeah. So how do you, you know, how does something like no code and AI, um, you know, how do they play nicely together? Do you think that there's a role there for AI to help here? Oh, I, I, I definitely, I think you said it best. It's, uh, it's, it's something uh, that can assist, but, 
not something that can completely take over. You know, I think there's differing philosophies here, but I think the best way to say it is like there is an intention and a nuance behind software creation that you just cannot get from AI, at least not today. So for example, if you said, build me an Uber type application, and I said, build me an Uber type application, like my intention of what that is, is very different than your intention. Like even even in like us talking back and forth, like sometimes I might say some, something with a different tone, you might interpret it differently. There's all this like compression and loss. So the machine isn't at a point where it can perfectly read what you're trying to say. So implicitly or inevitably, you have to go in there and then fine tune, right, where AI uh, basically left off. And that's the point. I think there might be a place where AI helps do like just the foundational work, right? Like, let's get like the baseline uh, done. But you're still going to need the human intention and the human interaction to build all of the nuance that is necessary uh, for production grade software. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's interesting, because I was playing around with some some AI stuff recently. And um, I was still watching some other developers uh, and they were, you know, something as simple as, hey, today we're going to build a login system and we're going to ask AI how to code it and we're just going to do exactly what it tells us. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing was, yes, absolutely, it, it, it solved the problem of the description of a login system. You know, yeah. I need an email field, I need a password and it's going to do this, um, you know. But it did it in a very anemic kind of way. And, yeah. and I think, like you say, what, you know, it doesn't have, it, it can draw from all of the experience that it's got in its models from probably all the code and everything else that we've all put out there over the years. And that, that is fantastic, right? You've got this huge brain of millions of people making login screens, for example. Yeah. And, and that's great. It's going to know how to do it exactly the right way. And, and, you know, follow your description, assuming you get the description right. But it's still gonna, it, it'll be the same, you know, the same as anybody else that's asked it to make a, a login system. Totally. It won't have the soul of a product. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And, and like I said, I think for simple things, you can certainly build the foundation. And even for a login screen, you can build the foundation. But again, what is a login screen? What about OAuth? Oh, well, OAuth with what? What about two-factor authentication? Like, what about Magic Link? Like, there's like so many different layers to what people mean when they say log in or sign up that uh, that it, unless you're like the perfect prompt engineer and you're perfectly able to describe all of the different scenarios and you then understand all the code that it spits back, which, by the way, a lot of people don't, um, you know, I just think that it, it it's not quite there yet. Um, now, look, it's an amazing innovation. I don't want to marginalize the impact it's going to have, but I certainly do not think that it's going to replace uh, your job or my job anytime soon. Yeah, it's funny how it goes full circle, right? Because as you say, a lot of people are just going to, you know, take that. Take, it's, it's almost the copy and paste syndrome, right? Mm-hmm, You're gonna, mm-hmm. It's going to take the code that it gives you. You're going to put that in. And if you don't understand it, you could be having introducing huge um, security flaws and things like that. that. Like you say, even with, you know, like a no code. Where, where you rely on developers and architects to look at this and say, does this seem sound, right? Yeah. Uh, regardless of whether they wrote it or not, you're just asking the question, 
does this feel right for what we need? Yeah. And I do worry that, that folks will interpret AI as, well, the machine's got to be smarter than me. So I should just use what it's telling me and not question it. And yeah. so I do like that discussion. You know, again, like I say, full circle back to how this plays with no code and, in, you know, keeping the developers and the architects in the loop, even if it's just as a sanity check to say, wait, are we doing the right thing here? And and did this get this right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, in the same way, like if I was talking to someone in another language um, and I use the translation tool, I wouldn't just copy and and paste it, especially if it was something important, like maybe for some things like I'm traveling and I want to get like the gist uh, across. But, you know, if I'm applying for a job or doing something more mission critical to my life, like I'm not I'm not going to rely on the copy and paste. And in, in the same way, it's software is very much the same. And I think you brought up an important point. There's also massive security implications when it comes to software. Yeah, yeah. And it, I think, you know, just to sort of finish off that discussion on AI, this this came up recently in, in a talk with someone. Um, and, you know, they, they didn't stop and think when I was talking to them about, it, well, remember, everything that you give the, 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 you know, you put in whatever AI tool it may be, you've now added to that model. Yeah. So, you know, be cautious about what you put in there. If you get too specific yeah. and next thing you'll know, Without even realizing it, you may be giving away proprietary Absolutely. Uh, routines. Most people don't realize that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the next thing is like, well, well sorry, it's in there now. I know. <laughs> you know. I know. And, and maybe you'll be okay. Maybe you won't. So we right. do have to stop and think. Yeah. You know, I am talking to a machine and I can't just say to it, please forget that. And it will. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, very conscious of your time here. I'd like to, to move on and, um, just to ask you about this because I'm always fascinated when I, I speak with folks who have worked at these, you know, huge companies that, that, um, you know, we all hold in high regard because of, uh, they define a lot of the approaches that a lot of the rest of us take to things. So, you know, having worked at Google and then, um, you know, taking all the good practices that you've learned there and especially things like working with large teams, large products. Uh, and all the responsibility that comes with that. How has it been for you since you decided to move on and, you know, start Xano? I think, was it 20, uh, 2019, 2018? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. How has it been for you since then? Is there, you know, do you have those days where you, you think to yourself, you know, I'm sure you do probably, right? Like, I should have stayed at Google. Or <laughs> is there, you know, on the flip side, there must be a lot that you learned there. There's like, okay, I'm now going to take this. And as we, we build Xano as a service and as a company, let's take these great practices. You want to talk about that? Yeah. So I think that um, I always encourage uh, everyone, like I do think that it's worth having like big company experience and it doesn't have to be a Google, but uh, it's just interesting to see, you know, the structure of things to understand the politics and the culture of how a big company operates. And I also think, especially from a uh, technical point of view, just to understand how these companies operate at scale, right? And uh, and work with just different teams and collaborators. Uh, Google was no different. I think Google, I, it was a very special time. While I was there, I joined in, you know, 2004. I left in 
you know, 2012. So I was there pre-IPO and then kind of just saw a lot of growth. Um, I think, though, that and I always say this, like, you know, um, at a place like Google, like I was, for example, I worked on Google Calendar and, and then the enterprise product. When you're launching, you're launching to millions of people and you have Google's brand behind you. It kind of gives you like a little bit of a false narrative about yourself because you're like, oh my God, I'm amazing. Look at what the impact that I'm having. Uh, after I left Google because I had this entrepreneurial itch, it was a big wake, uh, awakening, you know, because I, I tried to basically just sell to one person, one customer, right? From the millions that I used to work with. And then everyone I wanted uh, to leave Google and come with me for my, my first startup, uh, you know, I didn't have childcare. I can't pay the same salary or do your laundry or anything like that. So no one came with me. So, you know, even though Google was an amazing experience, I, I really learned a lot. I made a lot of great relationships and understood how a big company works and kind of the cultural things, as I was mentioning, all of my real learning happened after Google, right? Going through my startup journey, going into consulting, and then finally uh, building Xano. And so, uh, you know, I, I would really say that uh, very grateful to Google, but I definitely learned the most about what it takes to be successful in business outside of Google. Fascinating. And I like it when I hear folks saying about how it's, you know, like you did here, um, you immediately focus on on sort of the the everyday um, effect that it had on you as a person and those that you interact with more than it is um, you know about a company and yeah. and the fact that you know clearly what I'm getting here is that yes it's, it's about the, the, you know suddenly realizing you've got the responsibility not only to yourself but everybody else involved and. You know, it's it's one thing to to worry about. Okay, you know what you're working on, and when you're at a company and the teams that work for you, and then you 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 sort of have that thing where you wake up one morning and and it's like, oh, now I'm responsible for everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and you know, even when you have you know co-founders and partners and things like that, uh, at some point it, it becomes a, that that level becomes a very small group. And, and I'm sure there are those days where you're like, I did, you know, we are doing the right thing. Right. And yeah. it's, it's interesting that you mentioned, um, that, that one customer, right. You know, we, so many folks I know, um, you know, that they, they focus on that, get the, the first customer and they'll do whatever they need to, to get that first customer. And then they stop and they're like, well, I've made it. I've got my, <laughs> I've got my customer. It's like, yeah, you need more than one customer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's you know, I, I know I, I've, I've heard some stories in the past of people who I know who are fantastically talented. I mean, yeah. truly amazing. Um, and they, they, they decided, okay, we're going to, we're going to go do our own thing. And, um, then over time, you know, they get that first customer. It works great. And then one day that first customer goes away for whatever reason. Yeah. And suddenly they're like, Always my next one. <laughs> it's like that's why you should have more than one. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and to the, not the military says one. Uh, uh, one is none, and two is one. You know, but I do think your approach is correct. When you are getting started, just focusing on one customer at a time is really the most important thing. And also, I think just being very honest with yourself around, like, hey, like, why are they buying this from me? Are they buying it because? Um, they think it's very valuable and they think it's going to help them? 
or they're buying it because they want me to go away because I've been pestering them for the past seven days <laughs> around like, hey, you need to buy this from me. So they just are, are paying paying me uh, to do that. So I, I think that it's, it's a journey. You know, when you're starting a business, it's hard. And I think, uh, you know, starting with that first and then the second to the third and then just setting um, common sense milestones for yourself is uh, is a way to do it. Yeah, and I think something that, you know, clearly comes across in, in our conversation here is that you also have that that passion to to want to make a difference. But it's another to say, you know, I'm never going to be satisfied with what we've done. There's always something we can do better. Or, you know, what we've got today is great, but, I, you know, the horizon looks like this for tomorrow and to be passionate about always embracing that and, and having those conversations with, with the customers, you know, and, and reading some of sort of the testimonials on over on your website, it's clear to me that, you know, I get that impression from the customers that, you know, you are very hands-on, very uh, responsive, which is another thing as well is, you know, if, if a customer needs something to, to open up and say, Okay, let's let's talk about that. You know, yeah. you, you may whether regardless of whether you think you can supply it or not, at least being open to that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. No, I um I agree. And we we try to operate in that way. You know, I think that um the customers are the most important uh piece to what I mean most businesses uh do. It's the lifeblood. And so you have to listen to them and you have to kind of yeah, sure, like we have a mission and a goal, um, but we're basically creating it together with our customers. Is there anything else that you'd like to bring up that we haven't covered? No, no, that's it. Uh, I really just appreciate you having me on and and talking about this. It's been a great, uh, really natural conversation. So so I really appreciate you doing this. Please just tell folks where they can find you a little bit more just about Zeno. And uh, we'll put links in the show notes for everybody. But where can they find you? And if they want to reach out and, um, you know, hopefully people are going to contact you with questions, but please go ahead. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, definitely check out Xano.com if you're interested in building, even if you want like a build a small prototype or microservice. Uh, we've got a great free plan that you can go and, and check out. Um, if you want to uh, follow us or communicate with us outside of or in the product, there's a great chat. Like we're really responsive. We're known for our uh, customer success and support. Uh, but you can also follow us on Twitter. And that's no code backend on uh, Twitter. Uh, also, if you're interested, a lot, a lot more people are on LinkedIn these days. We do have a LinkedIn presence, so uh, you can go there as well. But other than that, uh, yeah, that's it. That's been this been awesome. Great. Well, you know, uh, Prakash, thank you so much for joining me today. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. You know, I, I'm sure you're extremely busy, so I'm eternally grateful um, that, that you were, you know, happy and gracious enough to sit down with me today and talk about this. No, the pleasure. The pleasure is mine. It's nice talking to uh, someone that is technical, but also just like understand all the nuances of software creation and also business strategy, the market. Uh, it's really been wonderful. So thank you so much, Peter. Thank, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, we will put links in the show notes for everybody to everything. Um, other than that, yeah, please, you know, reach out, go, go to Zeno.com and, and try it out. Um, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised that no code is a lot friendlier than, than most developers, you know, may think. So yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. And thank you to all developers out there. We need you. And no code is not trying to, at least I don't think no code is trying to replace anything. So, uh, so thank you for everything that you do, developers. 
Yeah. Although, you know, we wouldn't mind if it helped us have longer vacations. <laughs> let, let, us, let us take the monotonous <laughs> stuff so you can do the hard stuff. <laughs> that, that's it. There you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just want to thank everybody for your reviews and your feedback, whether they are one star or five star. I just greatly appreciate you taking the time to do that. You can reach out to me at compileswift.com and, of course, compileswift on any of the networks. With that, I will speak to you in the next episode.